This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. How do you prepare for the unexpected? Join me as we hear how one Iowa farm family took steps to protect their farm and assets now and for the future. Their forward thinking is an example of what all of us could consider when it comes to estates, insurance, and transferring property and businesses from one generation to the next, especially when those events may take place at unexpected moments. It's our topic for this week's Farming the Countryside, brought to you by Pivot Bio. When it comes to using nitrogen on my corn, the more predictable, the better. That's why I've used Pivot Bio Proven 40 of my crops for the past two seasons. With Pivot Bio, I know my crops are getting the nitrogen they need, no matter the weather. And now that same predictability is available right on the corn seed. Pivot Bio Proven 40 on seed gives growers even more flexibility with their nitrogen plan. To find out more, just contact your local sales rep or go to pivotbio.com. I recently made a visit to a farm near Marshalltown, Iowa, where I sat down for a visit on a pleasant day outdoors on the farmstead owned by Steve Hamilton and his sister Michelle Upa and her husband Trent. As you'll hear, they've had to deal with unexpected losses in their family, but they've also been forward-thinking, using tools to help them protect and pass the farm assets to future generations. We can learn a lot from their story to help us think about some of the questions we should all be asking as well. Joining me is Steve Hamilton and Michelle Upa, and they are brother and sister here farming <laughs> uh, just outside of Ferguson, Iowa. Take me back. Where does this farm begin? Because this goes back many decades here. Yeah, I think we figured out that my grandfather bought it about, what, 1936. So uh, we are now the third generation that's involved in the, in the farm. I'm the off-farm heir, and Michelle and her husband are the ones actually farming it at this point in time. So did either one of you think that you would be living and working on the farm at some no. point? <laughs> no. I said I wasn't going to marry a farmer. <laughs> and she didn't marry a farmer. I didn't, but he is now. <laughs> well, tell me how that happened, because this was a little bit new to you that you wound up being back on the family farm. Well, I never left, really, mm -hmm. um, but I met my husband, and we wanted to get married, and he said if he had a job here, then we could get married, so that's what happened. Along the way, there were many different events that happened. Yes. So take me through this because, you know, Steve, you mentioned that you weren't planning to come back to the farm, but take me through the events that lead up to eventually this farm then passing from one generation to the next. Well, we had a brother and he was about three years younger than me who was going to take over the farm. In fact, was farming with my dad, but at the age of 20, uh, he had an unfortunate tractor accident and so that really kind of disrupted kind of where we thought things were going at that point in time and um, I was in my senior year of college at that time I did go on to law school and but I came back and I was helping my dad in between the time I was studying for the bar exam and getting started in a career there and uh, there was a lot of uncertainty but then when Trent came into the picture and my dad and him started farming together. Then uh, 
it started kind of working out because we, we saw that there was going to be a future. Somebody else that could step in and take over for the next generation. We never know what life is going to throw at us. No. When you lost your brother, had there been much thought given to how this farm was going to be passed down from one generation to the next? And then what began to happen, the conversations that you had? Probably not because there's, my brother passed away, there's 10 years difference between him and I. So during that period of time, you know, they always had a hired hand that helped and that filled that void. And I, you know, it just was one of those things that kind of worked out and it wasn't planned. Um, I don't, I, I guess I'm not sure what dad's intentions were gonna be. Yeah, I think we had, there's just, there's uncertainty during that time because I, I have a lot of attachment to the farm because I grew up on it, worked on it, but I just wasn't going to be a farmer. I just was not in my my makeup, so to speak. And so we really didn't know what to do. And I was I was also had a lot of uncertainty because I didn't want to see the farm go somewhere else because I I have a lot of like I say I have a lot of attachment to it. So there there was a lot of uncertainty, a lot of questioning about what we should do. And fortunately. Uh, even though we've had the tragedies that uh, things have continued to work out as far as keeping it active as in the, within the family as a going concern. Hey Steve, as you moved through the 1990s, were there any things that you and the family were doing then to prepare for the transition that would happen? Well, my focus kind of when I got into the law practice and then I was working for a trust company and stuff was on estate planning. So we were having discussions about estate planning and some things that way and they were fortunate they had an attorney that they worked with who was setting things up as far as trying to make sure they utilized the credits and things available if somebody were to die and also we ended up buying some life insurance along the way there which turned out to be very fortunate because it really helped out financially when my dad had his accident and passed away so and my dad didn't like life insurance company. I mean, the salesmen would drive up, they'd be dressed up in their suits and nice cars and stuff, and they'd only be here about five minutes and they'd be back out the door. I didn't twist his arm. I mean, we just had conversations and he decided, you know what? He bought a couple life insurance policies and as it turned out, it ended up being very, very good decisions for the family farm that he did that. Just to add to that later, a little later on, they bought some long-term care my, my mom did. And that's actually helping us out right now because she is dealing with dementia. She's in a long-term care facility. And that long-term care policy is helping pay the bills for that. So we've seen the benefits of sacrificing something now so that those, that money will be there later when it's really needed. I know that the life insurance and the long-term care insurance were important parts of the planning process. Talk about that. How did you work through that? And why is that so important for other landowners to think about? I'd say there's there's two things for any business, it doesn't matter if it's farming or not, and those two things are money and management. And so when my dad passed away, because we had actually pre-planned the funeral stuff and had the trust in place and then had the money there, the financial resources there, when we sat around the table as a family and I, we talked to my mom, we could tell her nothing had to change. We didn't have to sell any livestock, we didn't have to sell out any grain. We didn't have to make any changes or disruptions to the operation because there was money there. In fact, there's still money from the life insurance policy, which is now invested in an annuity that she's left to grandchildren. So that's what she wanted to do with the rest of it that she didn't spend. So that was important. And 
then the management side of it, which I'll just talk about that for a minute here, because unfortunately, I mean, Trent, I think we had figured out it worked with my dad for about 10 years, but my dad fortunately had been turning over a lot of the decision-making to Trent. And my dad was kind of stepping back and being retired, as they say in the family business. <laughs> he was still there, he's still working, but really Trent became the person who was managing it. And when you have those two things, where somebody can manage and run the business and you have the money to do it, then you're gonna increase you know, the opportunity for success. Would you say without those two things, would the future of this farm been in jeopardy if you wouldn't have had those policies? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it could have survived because Trent knew enough to operate it and run it, but it would have put a financial strain on the operation. Yeah, I'm not sure without the long-term care policy where we would be. I mean, that's been a huge benefit for us. So how did you all then navigate through making some of those choices? Because those are hard decisions for families to sit down and begin to make those decisions. So was yeah. there a process that you all went through? Well, I mean, they had an insurance agent yeah. that they were working with that brought the long-term care piece in. And again, I think we've had, we had some discussions about it. And, but by that time I was, you know, I was away from Iowa and, and another state and uh, they decided to do it. So I was, I was more remotely involved in that decision. The life insurance, I was still kind of around when all that happened and we had some discussions about it. And so, and I have done presentations on some things of estate planning and stuff. So my dad had seen those and, and like I said, on, really on his own, I didn't twist his arm to make any of these decisions. They were just fortunate enough that they basically educated themselves and had some discussions and said, okay, this is the right thing for us to do. And they turned out to be really the right things to do. Talk about the program from Nationwide, your farm, your legacy. How does that play into yeah, this so, decision? Yeah. So I got started in kind of the estate planning area back in like the mid 80s and had studied some of that in law school as well. So a lot of the principles and things that I learned and talking to other farmers really and doing presentations for other companies and things were part of the genesis that helped go into Lanager Legacy, which has been going now for, I think I'm trying to figure out somewhere around probably a little over 10 years now. And so a lot of the stuff that I've learned and other people have taught me is really in this booklet here. And part of it, what it does is kind of help you go through some of the questions that people should be asking themselves, the families, and also then the fact finding aspect of it, but a place to help keep things organized. So that's what I've tried to do is put everything in one place because organization is so ultimately key uh, when, when the time comes and you need something, you gotta be able to find it. And I've talked to so many people that when their parents have passed, they can't, they don't know where any of the documents are. They don't even know what the plan is. And so it's important to get the family involved in the discussions and to be organized. And to really, I talk about, you need to ask the right questions too. You gotta to ask the hard questions. So what are some of those hard questions that you two have, have <laughs> had to ask? One of them I know Trent said, well, do you wanna sell the farm? That was a hard question for me because I had a lot of, I still have a lot of sentimental attachment to it and it's like, Heck no, I don't want to sell the farm, you know, because I still have that attachment. But I also realize as time goes on that, you know, things change and I'm getting older and we have to do, we have to look at the next generation and what's going to happen. I have six kids and so what's going to happen when I'm gone? And so we, that's part of our discussion right now. We're having hard discussions now about 
the future of the farm, what I play, my role, what the kids, our kids play, what our kids are going to do, because uh, we're not going to be here forever either. So asking that question, what do you want to do, just trying to get those issues out. And I think it's just, for me, it's a sentimental thing. But I also realize that it has to be operational and has to be viable. And that means I also have to consider, okay, where does my sentimentality stop? Because my main goal really is I want to see this continue as a functioning farm. Michelle, what's it look like from your position being here on the farm then as far as the transition goes? You know, transition-wise things have been smooth, but there's always, you know, questions. Well, what if, you know, one of his children, you know, it's not important to them. It, it's a matter of how do we weigh all these options and trying to find the right path to go down that, you know, it's not going to cause disruption in the family, hopefully keep the farm still intact, you know, and eventually, you know, we're not going to be here. Our kids probably will not logically probably farm, just financially wise, it's, it's too tough probably to bring in somebody else. It's just big enough for Trent and I really to manage. There's, there'll be a lot of questions coming up, I'm sure, in the future, and because our our kids all, you know, have their own lives too. Really where we're, I think where every family has to go to look at this is say, when you got a family business, it doesn't matter if it's a farm or not, but there's really three things you have to kind of consider is the ownership, who owns it and has an interest in it, who's managing it, you know, who do you want to have control and who's got the capabilities, and then how the how's the income being split from that operation. and. Those are really the three areas you kind of have to focus on because you could have ownership divided up, but you sure don't want all the income going to those people and not going to the people that are actually running it. And so business structures can be important in figuring out how to do that and maybe utilizing a trust as well, which we have set up a trust for my mom and I've got a trust set up for when I pass away to try to help guide through that process. I wanted to ask what advice would you have for others because there are so many non-operating landowners out there that have similar situations. Are there specific steps that you would say, be sure to do this because we learned hopefully the right way, but sometimes yeah. the wrong way? No, I, well, I think first of all, understand it's a process. What, what you may think or say today may not be the way you necessarily feel tomorrow. And also have communication, try to be as open in communication. And I, when I say that, I don't, that doesn't mean that you agree but you identify what the issues are, concerns are. And then once you kind of identify those, then you can, hopefully you can kind of try to work through those things. People will, will say they need an estate plan. They walk in the attorney and the attorney drafts a will for them and that's the end of it. And I also see on my end of it, working for Nationwide, I get a lot of calls from people who have said, well, mom and dad didn't want this to happen, or that isn't what they told me that it was gonna happen. And so clearly they didn't have things set up the way they wanted. They didn't coordinate all the ownerships and beneficiary arrangements and retirement plans and all the things that we kind of get in. They don't coordinate those together and sometimes they conflict with each other. In the second half of this week's show, we continue the conversation, but now Steve Hamilton is joined by his brother-in-law, Trent Upoff, who actually manages the land. We had a conversation that many across the country encounter. How do on-farm family owners best work with off-farm family members? And how do you prepare for a transition to the next generation when it may involve several children and spouses who all have a stake in the property? 
you guys have been on the family farm now for quite a while. Trent, you married into this uh, family farm. Tell me how this happened because you didn't start out as a farmer at all. Well, Michelle and I started dating in high school. Uh, really didn't have any direction in life, didn't know what I wanted to do. I told her one night if her dad would give me a job, we would get married. So one night I asked for a job. He gave me a job and we got engaged a month later and here we are. <laughs> How quick did you learn farming or are you still learning? Oh yeah, it's every day you learn something new, but uh, I caught on fairly quickly. I had a really, really good teacher with Steve's dad and Michelle's dad. And uh, yeah, he had the patience to bring me aboard and kind of put up with me <laughs> and here we are. Did you ever imagine that you'd be sitting here now thinking about not only am I a farmer, but I'm thinking about what I'm going to do as we pass this on to other generations? Those are conversations you probably never imagined when you began. No, wasn't quite sure I'd still be here. <laughs> <laughs> so talk about how you end up managing a farm when you have others involved in the operation that are not here every day. How do you communicate and figure out how, how things are going to work on this operation? Steve's pretty much absentee. He, he's never been involved except for the heavy lifting at times. And I think the main thing for Steve was as long as mom's taken care of and the farm's being taken care of, he's going to just sit back and let me do my thing, which is huge. That uh, I don't have to report to him every day when he doesn't know what's going on here on a daily basis. How do you as an operator take into account though that other people do own a part of the farm and keep them informed. What's that relationship like? Because many people across the country have a situation like that where they have family members that aren't on the farm, but they still own the farm. I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, Steve, Steve's got his own life in Ohio. I, I'm here on the farm. I guess I really don't think about keeping Steve informed of what's going on. I think as long as he gets his rent check and mom gets the rent check, he's pretty happy and I'm not, the farm's being well kept and, you know, I, I think that's, that's the way it works for us. Steve, give me your perspective because is it something where you just said, I don't have to know everything and so you've just decided to kind of let Trent handle the day to day then? Oh, absolutely. There's no way I can know everything and, and I've been, like I say, farming has changed so much from when I grew up. It's just a whole different game really in many ways. So. I don't feel like I have any right to be telling him how to run his business, which is what it is. He's never given me any reason to question it. But my main thing, as I've said before, is I want to see the farm continue and stay together and not be fractionalized down the road. And that's my, I'm, and I'm blessed because I have a job. We, we've been blessed not to have some of the economic pressure that other people may have to deal with. And I, you know, we talked about insurance helping that out as well. So. That, that helps a lot. In general, walk me through the conversation that you all have about how do you compensate people that aren't here on the farm managing but yet have ownership? Because I think many farms struggle with that because they don't want to take away from the operating capital that a farm has to run, but you still have to own, honor that ownership. How do you have that conversation? Well, when Michelle's dad passed away, some land was given to Steve and some was given to Michelle to help settle the estate. So. Technically, Steve owns X amount of acres, and Steve's entitled to rent on that X amount of acres, and Michelle's entitled to some rent also, and then Darlene, of course, is entitled to the majority of it, and 
we had it set up that way and there's not a lot of argument. I mean, it's pretty black and white, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And Darlene is mom, I'm guessing. Darlene is mom, right yeah. Now. So, I mean, I think, you know, the key to the success to this is Steve's not greedy. <laughs> you know, he, he's well established and mom's being taken care of. Michelle and I are living comfortably and the farm's still going. What is it look like then as we move forward? Are there conversations that the family still has to have each year or every so often? And how do you plan around those types of things? There's, there's some tough questions that need to be answered, which we touched on with your kids and my kids. And, you know, the older you get, the more removed you get from the farm. And Michelle and I are here, and this is, we're planning on staying here for a while, so. Yeah, I mean, the biggest question is, you know, where does it go after we're gone, obviously, when both of us are gone? And, you know, so we're looking at, right now I have a trust, my mom has a trust, but then what does that look like in trying to keep it all intact in one place and still having parties who are not farming involved in it, whether they're beneficiaries of a trust or whether they're somehow uh, unit holders or shareholders of a corporation of some short, sort of an LLC. So one of those entities and arrangements or a combination is probably in the future if we're gonna to try to keep it intact. Then the question is really, will there be somebody in the family that will wanna take over and actually farm? And I think most likely if it does, if there is anybody, it's gonna be one of you know, Trent's, Trent's kids because they're the ones that are closest here to, to do that. So we wanna make sure if there's somebody who wants to farm, we wanna make, I, at least I feel like, I wanna make sure they have the capabilities to do that. As the two of you think about the next generation who will own this land, are there any things you're thinking about the conversations you are having with them based off what the two of you as a family have already had to do? I have had conversations with my kids and, well, my oldest son for sure, about kind of what the, ex well, not expectations, but what the future is going to look like. But, you know, eventually this farm is going to be owned by 18 people. You know, could be. I have three kids. Steve has six with spouses. That's 18 people. I don't know how they're gonna keep that together. You know, it, it only takes one to upset the apple cart. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think part of the discussion is finding out where everybody's interest is and talking. He's been talking to his kids. Like we talked to some of my ch children as well, and. I don't think any of my kids are interested in, they're not going to come back and farm, but they're also not interested in trying to have a windfall somehow from, from the sale of property or from the farm itself, and they know that my desire is to keep it intact. So it is an ongoing process, and I think as we see our children develop and what they're doing and really what's going on in the farm economy, uh, we're going to have to look at tools, and right now, as I said, we've got trust in place so that at least it's something happens to me or even something happens to them uh, that at least the farm will stay intact at least to that point but you're right we need to we have to think longer term and what kind of a operating unit are we going to create out of this and I think the trust can be part of that but I think we're probably going to end up with some potentially maybe even some kind of a business unit to try to keep it all intact but the other thing I like to do in those kind of structures that is have an exit plan. If somebody wants out, they don't want to play by the game, you've got a way to get them out of there so they feel like they've gotten something. 
And so I don't think the expectation should be that everybody's all going to be happy together. Somebody's going to want out. And you've got to have a plan in place to say, okay, here's how you get out. Maybe it's an installment sale, but there's a way to get them out and maybe hopefully keep them somewhat happy. So you don't want to force people to have to stay. Have you started on that? Have you started on the exit plan? It's up there, okay. <laughs> no, I'm just great. I'm glad you brought that up because, yeah, took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> well, it would be a... No, I, I've, helped, I've helped people kind of put that stuff on paper. So the thing is getting it on paper for ourselves. And that's uh, yeah. it's kind of like the cobbler's kids not having shoes sometimes, you know? Well, it's good for people to have a way that if they want to exit, they can without having to jettison the entire farm for those that want to be a part of it. Right. I enjoyed the chance to learn from Steve, Michelle, and Trent. Hopefully, the conversation has helped us all think about items we should consider to ensure the future of our farm and small businesses. If you're interested in these topics and more, I'd encourage you to go to aginsightcenter.com. That's aginsightcenter.com. There are several stories there, including a video I did with Steve, Michelle, and Trent on this topic, plus other items to consider under this broad heading of being prepared for the unexpected, so to speak. Thanks for listening to our show. Remember, you can follow Farming the Countryside on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and now TikTok. Just type in Farming the Countryside. We're always using those social media platforms to share more information, pictures, and videos during the week. In fact, this past week, you can find me breaking the ice on the cattle waters during the November cold snap. And remember, you can hear all of these shows in a variety of ways as well at farmingthecountryside.com, on many local radio stations, or on your favorite podcast platform. I'm Andrew McRae. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com.